Morning everyone, Chris has just asked me to do today's reading, which is from 1 Samuel 24, and we're reading verses 1 to 20. And it says this. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Engadai. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way, a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay a hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, My lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you were seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David had finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Hi Freedom Church uh, and welcome again to our David series. I hope you're enjoying this series. It is absolutely excellent. And um, I want to uh, pick up on three things from this chapter, chapter 24, that we're looking at. Three things that I actually think are really relevant for the current climate, the current COVID climate that we find ourselves in. The first is about perspective. The second is about patience. And the third is about love. So firstly, I want to suggest that perspective in life is absolutely crucial. You see, we know that David has been anointed at this point in the story by Samuel, the prophet. And um, he is going to be king, but it's actually 15 whole years before this comes to fruition. And here we are in this story, Saul is still the king and he is pursuing David. We know he's already tried to kill David on several occasions. He's tried to throw spears at him. He's actually a man who's very unpredictable. His spirit we know is very troubled. We've seen David playing the harp and that brings peace to Saul's spirit. 
And I want to say David has served his king really well. He's put himself out there. He's killed Goliath. He's been victorious on several battlefields. And yet here we see at this point in the story that he has had to resort to running away. And here he is in the desert. He's so troubled by Saul's determination to kill him that he decides for him the best thing to do is actually to take himself out of, of Saul's point of view. And here we are in chapter 24. He's in the desert. He's hiding among some caves. He has 600 men with him who are willing to fight for him. And to be honest, who are not liked by Saul. And I want you to, if you can, imagine just that feeling for David right now. Here he is with his 600 men in the desert and you see Saul's army appear and uh, there's 3,000 choice men. That means for every one of David's men, Saul has five. And now there's nowhere to run. You've hidden in a cave, hoping you won't get found. But at this point right now, this army of 3,000 has arrived right outside your cave. And oh no, not only have they arrived outside the cave, but who is walking into the cave that you're in? It's the king who wants to kill you. Your backs are against the wall. And if I was David, I'm thinking, ah, this is the end, man. You know, being anointed to be king was all useless because I'm not really gonna to get to see tomorrow. Do you know in life there are definitely moments that feel very dark, aren't there? There are moments when we are faced with impossible circumstances and difficult decisions. And it's in those moments where we do actually need to cling to a godly perspective. I remember having chemotherapy 11 years ago and the I remember having the first of five 18 hour sessions as it started. I'd been told all the stats. I knew there was a possibility that this treatment would kill me. I remember in November, just gone, having uh, my body being prepped and being put to sleep as surgeons were preparing to remove a cancerous tumor from my kidney. I remember the phone call from my wife from the doctor's surgery as she was heading to the children's hospital with our youngest child with suspected meningitis. I remember a few years ago, the phone call from a customer telling me he had gone bust and I knew the impact this was gonna have on the business that I had just established. And I vividly remember in March as this country followed suit in what was a lockdown due to COVID, something that we have never, ever seen before. I'm sure as I mentioned some of my memories that you've all had your own dramas that came to mind. And I think for David, this story was no doubt one of his. But I wanna say having a godly perspective is not about ignoring the facts. It's not about pretending things going on in our life aren't actually happening. It's actually about reminding ourselves about the God that we worship. It's about reminding ourselves that he is the God who cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. His promises stand true. And so I wanna suggest there are an awful lot of things that no matter what the outlook appears to show, we can be totally assured of. So for some during lockdown, I have heard and I've read reports about the end of the church, about numbers plummeting, and you know, it can appear 
maybe that the church has had to, at this point in time, recede back into a cave with our, with our backs up against the wall. The enemy of the coronavirus has been the church's downfall. Have you heard that? But I want to suggest something totally different. You see, God has promised something totally different. He's promised that his church will advance with force. He's promised his church will be a multitude of people from every tribe, tongue and nation that no one can count. Does that mean that your congregation won't shrink during this season? Absolutely not. Does it actually mean that your church might not shut down? Absolutely not. But what it does mean is that the worldwide church is absolutely unstoppable. And this should change our perspective from one maybe of fear or worry to one of absolute certainty and hope. As I went for chemo uh, or the operation on my kidney last year, I was not totally assured that I'd come through these events. Even though I believe that God has spoken to me about things that he has for me in my life, do you know these things were given prophetically, meaning time will actually be the true test of how prophetic they were. But what I did know in these moments was that God would never leave me. I knew that in life or death, that I was gonna know his peace and his joy. I knew I had an absolute eternal future that he had purchased for me. And this gave me peace when things were dark. So when this customer called me saying they'd gone bankrupt, or when the economic impact of COVID hit, and I didn't know if the business that I had would still be standing. I knew that God had promised that he will provide enough for our needs. He didn't promise people to have their own businesses. He didn't promise wealth or houses or cars, but he does promise that we will have enough. Now, I don't know what you're facing right now in your life. You know, you may have lost your job or your house. You might have lost a loved one in your life. But I want to say God wants to lift our gaze today. He wants us to see through his eyes. He wants to give us a fresh perspective on his promises. I want to say on perspective, the cross is the perfect example of seeing something from the wrong perspective, isn't it? Satan thought he had won. He had defeated the Messiah. He had crucified him. And yet God in his sovereignty knew what he was doing. Perspective was crucial at this point because he knew that it was this very act that was going to lead to resurrection life. It was going to lead to victory over sin and death for all time. It was going to lead to a breakout of a new kingdom. So perspective number one. Secondly, I want to learn about the patience to trust him. Okay, we live in a world, don't we, today, which I think lacks patience like never before. Uh, I think we call it the instant generation, don't we? And if I think back maybe 25 years ago and I'd used the word instant, a few things might have come to mind. Maybe a pot noodle uh, or maybe an advert selling gold blend coffee, instant coffee. But our world has changed dramatically so quickly into instant gratification. Because technology 
as we all know, has evolved at such a quick pace, hasn't it? It's evolved so fast that we can do anything at almost the touch of a button. In fact, in our household, we just need to ask Alexa and uh, we can ask her questions that she will answer. We can ask her to order something that comes to our front door. And do you know, although there are undoubtedly some advantages to this culture that we have, it comes also with some dangers. And really the danger is we're not good at waiting for things. You know, I can find myself getting frustrated if the web page on my phone doesn't load in half a second and I start the next one. I'm already uploading that next page. I can find myself ordering from another supplier if they can't deliver the thing I want tomorrow. Waiting, I want to suggest, is surprisingly hard to do. I know having chemo, as I mentioned, 11 years ago is tough. The treatment itself was horrible. But the hardest thing I found was the recovery. The time it took to recover felt excruciating. Having to wait for the body to recover, not being able to walk up a flight of stairs without stopping on the way up, not being able to walk to the local park, just getting back to the normality of life took time. Getting back to work took over three months before I was back part-time. You know, recently waiting on results for scans done on my kidney was tough. Not knowing whether that growth found had spread outside the kidney. Not knowing what the prognosis was going to be. Now I realise that we all go through ma major periods of waiting in our lives, don't we? And now we've got COVID-19. We seem to be waiting for a vaccine. We're waiting for numbers to drop. We're waiting to go down from tier three to tier two to tier one. We're waiting to be able to meet up again as friends, as family, as Freedom Church, to worship in the same room together. Whatever it is for you that you might be waiting for, you might be waiting for a job or a promotion. You might be waiting for that right relationship to develop or the money to buy that house that you've had your eye on. You might be waiting on the conception of a the start of a family, or it might be simply waiting on the birth of a child that you've already conceived. Whatever it is for you, we all experience this challenge of waiting. And for David, we see him waiting for the time that he becomes what God has anointed him to be. And that is the king, the king of a nation. And as I mentioned, it was 15 years before he became king over that tribe. And it was another seven years before he united all the tribes and ruled over those. But I want to suggest waiting is something that we see God allows regularly in the Bible. We see Noah being called, don't we, to build an ark because God is going to flood the earth. But it's 120 years later that rain comes. Abraham is promised a child with his wife, but it's 25 years later before we see that come to fruition with Isaac. We see Moses being promised to be someone who delivers his people from slavery, and he spends 40 years in a desert beforehand. And of course, we know Jesus, the Messiah. He was 30 before he started to work out his calling on planet Earth. 
You know, patience and trusting God and his purposes seems to be something that God wants to establish in all of his people. And one of the excellent things I find about having Saul in this narrative is that we get to see what not to do in the waiting. I want to read just from 1 Samuel 13. We're going to go back and just look at uh, how Saul handled something in his life. So it's 1 Samuel 13, 11 to 13. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. So here we have uh, chapter 13. We have Saul who has gone into battle and he lacks all patience. I want to ask, why is it? Why is that this king is lacking in patience? I want to suggest he's concerned too much, far too much by what others think and what they're doing. He can see the men in his camp leaving. So he decides to make the sacrifice to Yahweh before the prophet Samuel has arrived. He continues, we see throughout the whole narrative of 1 Samuel, to make irrational decisions out of fear. And this is actually why he's at the cave right now in this scenario. He's actually just been in battle. He's just won a battle. And this would normally be the time when, as a king, you might stop, you might rest your men, you might enjoy that victory. But Saul has become so consumed with fear over the threat of David that he takes a tired army out into the desert in search of one man. David, on the other hand, he's hiding in this cave as Saul enters uh, by himself. And it says to relieve himself. He's going to the toilet and it's not a number one. I don't have to say any more, hopefully. And he's alone. He's got no bodyguards. And David can finish the job right now. He can run Saul through with a sword and have that massive threat that's been over him done with. Because after all, he is the legitimate anointed king to rule. In fact, we find out didn't we in this, that the men are encouraging David to do that very thing. They're encouraging David saying, God has delivered him into your hands. But we see a very different response from David. He refuses to kill Saul. But he is tempted to do something and he creeps up behind him and he cuts a corner off his robe. And we read this. We read, afterwards, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. David isn't concerned here with the 600 men that he has who are following him, egging him on 
to this end. He refuses point blank to get impatient with the Lord's timing or even to use shady tactics in order to usher in God's kingdom prematurely. He's concerned actually with what pleases God. He has a healthy fear of the Lord. And David actually feels conscience stricken. Remember, when Samuel anointed him, he also anointed him with oil and the Holy Spirit came on him. And I think there's something here of the work of the Spirit bringing conviction of his action. You see, it might just be the corner of a robe, but this has far more connotations attached to it. I want us just to take us back. I know we're skip, skipping around passages, but if we read from 1 Samuel 15, we understand the significance that this has. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. David recognizes here in this moment that he doesn't want to take matters into his own hands. And I think in the waiting, it's so easy to want to fix it ourselves, isn't it? To move things along because after all, what's a little meddling if the end justifies the means? We have a tendency after an event to justify our actions. And I want to suggest impatience often leads to reckless decision-making. But David recognizes even in just cutting the rope that he has overstepped the line. He knows that God is over all things and he doesn't want to lead like Saul. He doesn't want to fall into the trap of forcing his timing of things like Saul. He doesn't want to make the same mistake as say Abraham who was trying to force through by his own means the prophetic that God had given him, this promise. And he honors, and this keeps going through this refrain, he honors the Lord's anointed. And this isn't because Saul is worthy. It's not because he's a brilliant king. It's not because he's scared of Saul. It's because he loves Yahweh and he wants to honor him in his timing. He wants to honor God's elected. From John 7 verse 6 in the New Testament, we read this. It says, therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. You see, because even Jesus in the New Testament was being pressured by those around him to show off his power at this point in John. He was being pressured to be seen, to take his rightful place. But even Jesus, he refused to be drawn into stepping ahead of his father's timing. He understood the patience required in allowing a sovereign God to direct his orchestra. Do you know the Psalms are filled with the refrain of waiting on the Lord? I want to suggest let's not be souls in the difficulty of waiting, but let's learn to trust in God and in his plans and purposes in our lives. Finally then, the last point I want to make is about loving those who are hostile to us. 
I don't know if you've experienced this, but I have experienced in the workplace, in the workplace, the hostility of those who hate the gospel, those who want to mock you and public, publicly humiliate you because of what you stand for. And for some, it may be those closer to home. It may be a neighbor or a relative who just constantly wants to have a go at you. But I want to suggest David's actions towards Saul are remarkable. And Saul's response is astonishing as well. If we just remind ourselves of that, it says, Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? The day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of robe in my hands. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. Do you know, David could have stayed quiet after cutting Saul's robe. And had I been one of his 600 men in that cave, knowing Saul has 3,000 men waiting outside, I would have been strongly advising David to sit tight and not expose our location. But David doesn't just decide to grab Saul in the cave to have a quiet word. David actually risks his life to call out to Saul. You see, he refused to retreat into the cave and hide forever. And he refused to retaliate when the opportunity arose. Instead, what he did, he chose to speak up. This king who wanted to take his life, who was erratic and threatening, his enemy, he chose to honour and to almost shout out, proclaim the gospel to him. And I think he was both loving and very shrewd in his encounter with Saul here. We see from this narrative that he started this engagement with addressing Saul with such respect. He calls him my Lord and King. He was reminding Saul that he is still the king. He's the one with the authority. He's the one with the title, the one that uh, he is under. And he goes on to prostrate himself on the ground. He makes himself lower. He is uh, reminding Saul, he is subordinate to him. He's vulnerable. He's not looking to attack. He calls him father. We know that Saul is not David's actual father. Um, but he's reminding Saul of the relationships that he thinks they have, the kind of relationship they used to have, maybe. It was like a father-son relationship. And finally, I think he's really shrewd because what he does in this passage is he blames Saul's behavior on the men around him. He actually doesn't want to antagonize him. He wants to win Saul. It's like he's offering him the olive branch. He's showing him the grace of God, like he has given Saul yet another chance to repent for his behavior. 
He doesn't hold back either. He, uh, he talks about God wanting to judge between them. David refuses in this passage to pay evil with evil. He chose to honour and love in spite of the threats. And it reminded me of a missionary called Jim Elliot. And uh, he was married to a lady called Elizabeth. And they were, as a couple, uh, they grew up in America. They were very intentional in learning languages that were almost unheard of because they knew that God had called them to South America to reach some of the unreached tribes at that point in time. And Jim arrived on his first trip with some other guys. And on his second trip, they went in with these guys and they were attacked and killed uh, by one of the tribes in South America. And the news traveled very quickly. And the wives of the husbands who had been killed were absolutely devastated to hear that their husbands, all of them, had been killed. But Elizabeth Elliot was one of the wives who decided to go back to South America and attempt to work with the very tribe that had killed her husband. This time maybe with a bit more of a careful approach, but they were successful. It actually took her 20 years but the tribe that had killed her husband became Christians. And one of the men who had killed her husband went up to her and he wept, apologizing for his action. And she forgave him and he began to follow Jesus. Saul in this story, as we've read, he goes from being a hostile king to weeping and accepting that he is in the wrong and David has acted righteously throughout. In two chapters time, we're gonna see the exact same behavior from Saul. He starts chasing David again, but there's something here and in chapter 26 where Saul appears to be repentant. He actually recognizes the sin in his life. And I wanna suggest love is such a potent weapon. We know that Jesus himself is love and he laid down his life for us. In the Bible, we're told that we're his enemies, we were against him. And yet he continued to lay his life down for his enemies. And now billions of people around the globe have been totally undone. We've been amazed that God would take on the full anger and wrath that we deserved on himself. So I wanna suggest if God can change a tribe in South America or a crazy insecure king, then let's not put any barriers in the way of what he can do and who he wants to reach in our lives. Let's love like he loved and see what he wants to do in and through us. I wanna end by just reading one of Jim Elliott's most famous quotes, I think. He says this, he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What a great uh, quote that is. I just wanna end by praying. I hope you found this helpful. Lord, I wanna thank you so much that our perspective has been fully changed because of what you achieved on the cross. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is now living in us and changing us and um, bringing your peace and bearing fruit, the fruit of, um, of patience, Lord. And I just wanna pray, Lord God, will you continue to empower us to love others like you loved? In Jesus' name, amen.